Hello, what's going on everyone? I'm John Hasselbauer, golf writer for thelines.com. This is From the Tips, and in this video we'll be going over a quick recap of the Open Championship last week. A little uh, touch on the Barracuda with Akshay winning, uh, adding to the outright total for the year for us. And then, of course, looking into everything we need to know about TPC Twin Cities for the 3M Open. Uh, before we go any further, make sure you are subscribed to thelines.com. Hit that subscribe uh, button below, check out my tournament preview article and all the links to the lines.com in the description and make sure you are subscribed to the discord channel where all my picks are, uh, posted for free and all of our discussion, uh, good or bad, which was kind of a run, a run of the gamut, uh, on Sunday, but we have a nice live discussion and a growing community in our golf, uh, golf bets discussion channel in the discord. So can't stress enough. Um, you know, if you want to just get access to, um, that community, you know, see my picks in real time when I'm placing them. So you're getting the CLV, uh, but also just kind of sweating it together. That's the place to be. Um, so just really just starting with uh, a look back at last, last week, so much happened last week, right? We had the last major of the year. Um, the 151st open at Hoylake, uh, Brian Harmon won in anticlimactic fashion, um, a really interesting dynamic watching that because I think it was very palpable from the fans in person that they were kind of rooting for Harmon to slip so that we could get a little drama. I think the fans probably crossed the line a little bit where they were kind of just jeering at him and taking a step too far, not really appreciating how awesome that you know four day stretch of golf truly was. I mean, it is commendable. Um, to th that Friday round was just insane with the Eagle to, to cap it off and, and separate so much from the field, but to back it up with two rounds under par on the weekend as well. And really nasty conditions on Sunday in particular, just hats off to Brian Harmon. Um, somebody who I obviously, uh, you know, I had a lot of discussion about this this week, but I tweeted out on Monday, that's just a blind profile of Brian Harmon. Uh, coming in, he had the, the world golf ranking inside the top 30, uh, back to back top or three straight top 12s leading in a top 10 at the open the year before top 20 the year before that. So everything from like a form on paper resume standpoint was kind of actually trending towards this guy is really due to break out. Uh, the problem is he's Brian Harmon and he hadn't won in six years. Um, and I get very stuck uh, when I'm trying to bet majors on the atmosphere and the pressure that you, you have to be able to step up and handle those moments. Uh, Brian Harmon did an awesome job of just putting himself in a position where he didn't have to worry. He didn't have to be stressed over these stressful shots. I, I do think from a golf viewership standpoint, it's a shame that we didn't get a tight finish. I, I think that would be such an amazing venue to have two guys tied neck and neck, or even, you know, if you remove Brian Harmon from the equation, you had three or four, or five guys at seven under, you had like like eight guys in the mix between seven or six under. And there's just such a range of scoring that can happen when you're forced to be aggressive on that 17th and 18th stretch. Uh, we saw, you know, Matt Fitzpatrick made like a triple on the 17th hole, not, not you know, down the stretch, but just in general, that's in play. Uh, we've seen Ricky Fowler go out of bounds twice, three times on the last hole. So, you know, you can make Eagle on 18. You can also make an eight or a nine. Um, so it would have been really interesting if there's any pressure put on Harmon 
Uh, I was on John Rahm. It seemed like at one point he made a little bit of a charge and he got within three strokes. I believe it was Harmon at 10 under and, and Rahm at seven under. That's the closest anybody ever really got to Harmon. Um, and then as soon as Harmon made that bounce back birdie, it was over. He separated back to four under. Rom started pressing and he just wasn't making the, you, you had to be perfect to chase Harmon at the end of the day. And he wins in a dominant fashion um, by, by five or six strokes. So again, hats off to Brian Harmon, the, the week of his life. I hope he, he does enjoy it. I hope um, he, you know, he's welcomed back at, at Hoy Lake the next time he's there because it seemed like the media wasn't wasn't the kindest to him. The fans were rooting for a little bit of a collapse. They didn't get it. So in the end, we'll look back on Brian Harmon's performance and think of it as one of the most dominant ones uh, that we've seen in quite some time. Uh, now, what that does, bigger picture with Brian Harmon winning the Open uh, from a Ryder Cup perspective is it has to lock him on the team, I believe, even from a point standpoint. Um, he's locked in now. A similar story with Wyndham Clark. They were having good seasons. They win a major all of a sudden you're on Team USA, but that kind of blocks out the bottom half of Team USA a little bit. So um, I would say the fringe guys now in that 11-12 that spot are going to be Tony Finau, Sam Burns, who if you ask me, those would be the last two guys on, on the team. And then you also have Justin Thomas, um, Cameron Young, and Keegan Bradley, I, I would say, are, are the next three that are on the bubble. So of those five, only two are going to make it. And before Brian Harmon won, he was not even in the picture, uh, which is interesting how, how much that can sway. Um, but before that, you had three spots. And I think that Justin Thomas would have probably would have probably gotten one. But now you have this juxtaposition where JT embarrassed himself, shot an 80 looked horrible, looked lost, is now forcing himself to play in the last two events of the PGA Tour schedule just to make the playoffs. Um, so I would have to say he's on the outside looking in at the playoffs. He should be the outside looking in at the Ryder Cup team. If he makes the playoffs, if he has a, a couple top 20s, I think even a couple top 30s might get it done uh, at the 3M and at the Wyndham, then it's a different story. He seems to be finding something and that's enough. You know, He's got the experience. He's got your last spot. It'd probably bump off. Uh, Sam Burns in that instance. But I do think between Burns, JT, Cam Young, and Keegan, whoever has the best playoffs and the best next two events of the year is going to get you know that, that last spot. So that'll be interesting to track. For the Euros, I think the only significant change coming out of last week um, is that Sepp Schrocka is definitely on the team now. I think he should have been on before last week, but finishing second place in the Open, uh, now being like a top five favorite in a PGA Tour event. He's definitely being respected more. He's not like the first guy you would think of as a European player being so Americanized. He lives in America. He went to school there. But there's plenty of plenty of European players now who who live in America, raise their families in America. So I don't think that's as much of a, a big deal as some of the narratives might might draw it up to be. Um, but yeah, that's that's 3M. Oh, that's uh, the open fallout. And just to touch on um, the Barracuda, I didn't really like watch too much of it until Sunday. Uh, but we did hit Akshay Batia, which is awesome. A guy I've been following. He's 21 years old now. I've probably been following since he was 16 or 17 years old. He's been billed as this phenom next man up. Somebody who definitely had live offers, turned them, turned them down because he wanted to chase a PGA Tour career, wanted to go through the grind. He did. He won a, a Corn Ferry event last year. He got his temporary 
exemptions to the season. He had enough high finishes and other opposite field events like the Puerto Rico open to get the temporary membership for the rest of the year. And then he caps it off with a win at the Barracuda to get his full-time membership through next season. So always nice when, you know, these opposite field events are not life. They're not supposed to be life-changing events. Um, therefore everybody who didn't qualify for the larger event happening the same week. So if you had a guy like, I don't know, let's say Keith Mitchell won last week, it wouldn't really feel that special because he's won a PGA tour event before his, his card's pretty locked up already and all of that. But, uh, nice to see the emotion of Akshay. Nice to get our seventh outright of the year, which is awesome to, to be seven months into the year and have seven outrights. I, I structure my card to hit one every other week. So, um, so yeah, just happy, happy to still be on, on a nice run in, in a year. That's been a very strange way of getting to these outrights. I've had three opposite field outright winners between, uh, Matt Wallace at the Corrales and, uh, last week's Barbasol with Vincent Norman. So, um, it, it's been a strange year. I've never hit, uh, an opposite field outright before this year. And, and we've got three now. So, um, uh, we'll take them. They pay out the same. The odds pay the same. I always say so that is all good. Um, and just, uh, a, an appreciation, a thank you for all the support, uh, whether in discord or Twitter, I've been feeling the love after the last, um, last major of the year. I know a lot of people kind of check out after the majors, casual betters who, who've, you know, tune into my stuff for the majors only. So, um, you may not be here <laughs> for the second week in a row on the 3M, uh, tuning into this video, but, um, have gotten a lot of nice, uh, nice feedback from, the latest run on the content and um even with brian Harmon, you know it's it's nice to know that even though i didn't bet him my tweet kind of got a, a couple people dming me and saying that 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 was enough for them to make some money off of him so at the end of the day that's what we're all about free information for everybody to do as they will with it and hopefully you know you have a more profitable year uh having listened to this video or following my tweets or reading my articles so that is all good stuff, positive vibes leading into the 3M Open. Um, this week is the penultimate uh, event on the PGA Tour schedule. The final event of the regular season will be at the Wyndham Championship next week. Uh, and a little added pressure this year. It used to be top 125, made it into the playoffs this year. It's only top 70. Um, so that means a lot of like good players who normally would feel pretty safe at this point uh, need to, you know, keep, keep playing to ensure that they have enough points to qualify. So still a lot more stakes, a lot, I would say a lot more stakes at this three M open than there typically are because of that premium on the top 70. There's guys like Cam Young is a very good example of that, who was not planning to be here. He kind of slipped back a little bit to closer to like 50th in the FedEx cup standings. His, his top 10 finish at the open last week kind of improves that standing but he already committed, you know, before that tournament was over. So that's an example of somebody who probably wouldn't come here, but just to make sure that they're well positioned for the playoffs has made the trip. Justin Thomas, obviously a lot will be um, discussed about him, uh, his kind of fall off. I mentioned where he stands in the Ryder cup. He's I believe 74th on the FedEx cup standing. So he desperately needs a top 20 in one of these next two weeks. He just committed to the Wyndham championship as well. Um, but that's what makes this event a lot more unique than some of the other like major hangover events, if you will. Um, there's anyone who's here is here motivated to just 
you know, take advantage of an extra week to gain points, to get better position, to make it into Eastlake, because we know all of the, um, we know all of the perks that come with getting to Eastlake, but especially next year with uh, more of a designated limited field schedule, it's paramount to get in that top 70 if you're on the fringe. Um, so that will be something very interesting to look out for this week. Um, otherwise, what what we know about TPC Twin Cities, it is a typical TPC layout, but it adds more water um, than most of the other TPCs that, that we're used to. Um, the winning score has typically been around 15 to 20 under par, uh, and the tournament founder has described this as a place he wants to get uh, birdies and train wrecks, which is a perfect uh, summation of what goes on here. There are a lot of gettable par fours. There are a lot of eagle opportunities on par fives. And in general, the fairways are somewhat generous. Uh, but anything that's not in the fairway is in danger of going in the water. So from that standpoint, it does kind of remind me of some of those Florida courses. Uh, PJ National, host of, uh, of the Honda Classic, is definitely one that comes to mind. Um, as another course that really penalizes the wayward drives. And that's actually something that we talked about a lot at the open last week, uh, where you need to be, have good total driving distance is going to be advantageous and, um, you know, not have, not spraying it is going to be very helpful here because you're going to have to hit a lot of drivers with the length of this course. Um, and anything that you slice or hit off target is in danger of needing a reload and going into the water. So definitely... Driving, I would say, strokes gain off the tee more important here than most any other uh, week on the PGA Tour, especially for an event that may have a, a reputation as being a birdie fest. Um, a note on Tony Finau. Um, he is our, your defending champion this week. He came in off of a fairly disappointing showing at the Open the week before, but he turned it on and was one of the low rounds of the day on Sunday really parlayed that into his win and then went on to win the rocket mortgage, which was the week after this last year. Um, so the open kind of turned his season around last year. And uh, I, I think a misconception about this week is that you may not want to play the open guys because they have a long travel back and there might be a hangover, but obviously that was not the case for Tony Finau. So I'm not really shying away from playing any guys who played in the open. And if they looked good, um, they might be able to channel that and, and draw from it and build confidence off of it. So I, I'm only seeing good um, signs to pull out of performance from the Open last week. Um, and if you missed the cut, I think that's okay too because you just got here a little bit sooner. Um, quickly on course comps, I talked about the Honda Classic. I think that's a really good uh, example of a course that really threatens uh, with water around the fairways. Michael Thompson has won at both. Sung Jae has had really good results at both as well. And even Step, Step Straka's second uh, all-time at the 3M Open and ball striking. And he has obviously won the Honda Classic as well. So uh, a lot of correlation I see there. It's something that I'll be referencing when I put my betting card together. Uh, TPC Louisiana actually has some, some good overlap with a lot of water risk reward holes as well. That, that is a team event. So a little bit harder to draw one-to-one -one connections with, but you'll see guys like, uh, I've listed here, Nick Hardy, Adam Hadwin, Sung J M, Keith Mitchell, Matthew Neesmith and Vincent Norman are all high finishers who are in the field this week. 
Um, and then in addition to that, uh, Detroit Golf Club, where we have the Rocket Mortgage, Silverado, where we have the Fortinet, TPC Deer Run, the John Deere Classic, and TPC Summerlin and San Antonio um, are other courses that just share the same uh, profile of, uh, you know, be strongest off the tee and be able to rack up a bunch of birdie opportunities. Uh, from there, um, I think we can skip actually a straight ahead to the model. Um, and as I pull this up here, um, I'll just talk through the key stats that I finalized for this week. I think it's a little bit of a tighter group of stats uh, for my model this week because um, I think the approach buckets are pretty evenly distributed where I'm not focusing too much on a particular range of par four holes or uh, proximity from 150 to 200 or anything like that. I think overall approach works well. Um, so I kicked it off my most weight on strokes gain off the tee, as I mentioned, avoid that water, put yourself in the fairway and it becomes a pretty easy and scorable course. Um, strokes gain approach is my second most important stat this week. All of the, the winners have spiked for over like five strokes on approach. So you need to have that capability, uh, on a course like this. And if you are strong on approach, the greens are large, but it'll give you even more scoring opportunities. Uh, comp course history followed by opportunities gain and birdies gain. I put both in because um, birdies are better gained, kind of just adds putting um, to opportunities. Uh, but we've seen players like Cam Champ and Tony Finau, for example, uh, come in in horrible putting form and then go on to lead the field in strokes game putting. So this is not a week that I'm going to fade a player because they're a bad putter, because if those two guys are capable of leading the field in putting, then literally anybody can. So that is something to keep in mind. I double down on strokes game ball striking because the short game stats, I just really don't see much value in modeling off a short game here. Um, strokes gain around the green has had no correlation with success at, at TBC Twin Cities. And as I just said, the, the putting is kind of completely random. Um, I have strokes gain off the tee on tight courses, um, not necessarily comp courses, but um, courses that are hard to hit fairways, but also a similar length to TPC Twin Cities. So guys who can hit a driver accurately is basically what this uh, stat is capturing. And then par five scoring, there's three of them on this par 71. So that is important. Um, and then we have uh, strokes gain total over the last 12 rounds. So immediate form just to see if anybody's kind of trending um, compared to some of the last 36 round info that I'm putting in here. Um, and then we have good drives gained, self-explanatory, strokes gain putting on bent grass greens. Um, that is something where if you're not a good putter in recent form, but you've been putting well on bent grass uh, comparatively, then there might be something there. So that is the one thing from a short game's perspective I'm putting a small weight on. guy like Tony Fina, who plays so well at the Augustas of the world in Texas, um, in Texas as well, that is, uh, you know, bent grass based. So that could be an angle to look if, if you're looking for upside in a player who otherwise isn't, isn't looking fantastic putting. Uh, and then I just also put driving distance and fairways in here for reference, but, um, not putting a ton of weight on them. Just want to see guys who are good off the tee. Is it because of, the accuracy or the distance, ideally both because this is a pretty long course. 
So when we put that into the model, the top 10 gives us Sepp Straka number one. That's interesting because this isn't pulling in stroke scan data from the open. So this is before he even finished uh, T2 there last week. He uh, is somebody that I considered at 35 to one, but ultimately uh, just chose to go a different way. But I think he's a very sensible bet this week. As I mentioned, he's top two in stroke scan ball striking at TBC Twin Cities. So uh, obviously, he can be a fit for this course, and it's a little bit uncomfortable seeing Sepp Straka play as good as he has, but uh, it might be for real. We don't know. He's he's one of the more volatile players uh, on the PGA Tour, but um, interested to see how he does. Somebody I'll have some exposure in DFS for sure, if nothing else. Uh, Sungjae is number two, also great history here. Steven Yeager, number three, kind of fits that bill of elite ball striking and questionable putting was a little disappointing at the Barracuda where he's a favorite last week. Um, so I, I might be shying away from him, but interesting that he popped this much. Tony Finau is your favorite this week in defending champion. He's number four. Lucas Glover is a player I love and will come back to, but he's number five. Really turning around his putter recently too. So lots to like about Glover now. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama is number six. Some questions I have about his neck sustaining a, a 11 hour flight in a short week, um, but we haven't heard much about his injury concerns lately. So uh, something to monitor, but for now I'm playing it cautious with Matsuyama. Uh, Emiliano Grillo, a runner-up finisher at this event last year. He is number seven. Gary Woodland, great ball striker, questionable putter, fits the mold at number eight. Aaron Rye, very similar, elite um, at hitting fairways and on approach and could really make an interesting Ryder Cup conversation if he wins this week. He's number nine, and Ryan Palmer is number 10. Uh, I'll now filter this to my outright bets. And here we go. So uh, the first guy I bet on my card was uh, Cameron Young, and he is a little bit lower in the model at number 13, um, but I'll pull up his pro his player page here just to show the improvement, uh, and why that's probably not the case. So Cameron Young's been uh, sort of a, an underachiever this year. He was, at the beginning of the season, a foregone conclusion that he would be on the Ryder Cup team, most likely alongside a Will Zalatoris. Um, and obviously these putting woes have held him back from being more of a contender. Um, but if you look at it at a glance, it's actually not as bad as, as I think it's felt. He has a top 10 at the Arnold Palmer, a 7th at the Masters, and now he's coming off of back-to-back -back top tens. Um, what what's encouraging is the putting seems to be improved. He actually led the field. At, we don't have strokes gained on Fantasy National, but um, if you look at the statistics for the Open, he actually led the field in strokes gained approach and strokes gained off the tee um, at Hoy Lake, which obviously means that he's he was not hitting putts there either. Um, but this should be a, a welcome place for anybody like a Cam Young. Really fits that uh, Cameron Champ. Um, profile of elite uh, ball striker, tons of distance, doesn't really have it with the putter, but on a straightforward surface, maybe with Paul Tesori, eventually that pays dividends. Um, but yeah, three strokes gained at the John Deere. That was also bent grass greens uh, in a pretty easy scoring layout. So if he's capable of gaining three there and he can gain three this week, then I really like his chances. I think his approach numbers are much better than what you see here. I believe I was looking at John Deere and he, he lost like three strokes in one round. He was, he would have been plus three otherwise. So 
Um, maybe a little bit of a boomer bust guy, but definitely seems like he's trending towards a win. Um, he rearranged his schedule kind of last minute to play here. I think again, because of the points positioning. So this is not a, you know, an event he pre-committed to, and he's not interested in, he actively put himself in this field and is motivated to get points. So we'll see how that goes, but I do really like Cameron Young's fit. This is one of the most ideal setups I could think of for Cameron Young's game. Uh, next we have Ludwig Aberg, uh, another player who has some work to do with the Ryder Cup. If it were up to me, I'd put him on right now, but I think he needs another good showing just to make it easier on Captain Luke Donald that he is the right guy for the team. Really, really similar player profile with Aberg and Cameron Young. Be hard pressed to find too many courses where I like Cam Young and I don't also like uh, Ludwig Aberg. Um, and in this case, you're getting him at nearly double the odds. I got him at 35 to one and Cameron Young at 18 to one. Um, Aberg is already one of the most elite drivers in, in this field. One of the most elite players on par five scoring as a result. Uh, he is number one in stroke, strokes gained on par fives, uh, top 10 in fairways already, uh, strokes gained off the tee on tight events, which he, he doesn't have that many, um, that much experience under his belt. He's already kind of climbing in that area and opportunities gained. He's very good. So um, just from the eye test, he misses more putts than he should. Um, but somebody who's very capable of going low, he shot 59 in college, probably like two months ago. So um, aggressive player, but really just hits a straight and long ball off the tee, which should play very well at TPC Twin Cities. Uh, next is Lucas Glover at 60 to one. I thought that was a phenomenal number. I was actually expecting him to open around like 35 to one with the recent run he's been on. So I want to pull up his player page too, and just show the turnaround he's had since switching to the broomstick putter, which happened right here. So at the travelers, he missed the cut with his, his standard putter. And with that standard putter, this is what he looked like on the greens, just a whole lot of red. Switches to the broomstick and immediately he's it's paying dividends. He's gaining over three strokes in his first two events with it at Barbasol. He kind of went neutral, but um, then you look at what the ball striking was doing and you can kind of overlook even a neutral putting performance. So um, three consecutive top six finishes. The ball striking is incredible. He's always been a good ball striker. If you even zoom out, like, yeah, the the spike approach has always been here. Um, if we're looking over his last 10 events, he's gaining over, he's averaging over three strokes gain on approach, um, per event. So he is a flusher. Uh, and now with this, uh, broomstick putter, he has that upside to even convert those putts and not be as kind of shaky over them. So, uh, John Deere classic, pretty good comp for this week. He was a winner there two years ago. Um, and the ball striking couldn't be better. So. I think it's a great spot for him. I think 60 is a bargain and I would play him anywhere above 45 to one this week. I think he's a great value. Uh, next, Eric Cole. Now, Eric Cole is going to be the one player when you look at this all important category of short skin off the tee. Um, he's the type of player I would initially think to avoid because his the only areas that he's not great in are off the tee or off the tee on tight courses. Um, but I, the more I dove into it, 60 to one seemed like a long enough dip for me to, to buy low. Uh, I'll also pull up his player profile page just to 
kind of drill the, the point home here, but he finished 60th at the Scottish Open last week. He shot a 79 or 78. Uh, he shot nine over on Sunday. So before that, he he actually had the same score as Scotty Scheffler going into the final round, who was T3 going into that, and Scheffler finished T3. So if he just shot even par in those nasty, windy conditions, which is asking a lot, um, you know, that we'd be looking at another top 10 finish for him. Um, the the weather was so bad and nothing like what we're going to see at the 3M Open that I'm I'm fine to just completely dismiss that final round and see the good of his first three. Um, otherwise, off the tee, it doesn't look great. But where he was great was the Honda Classic. And that is a course that he's very familiar with. He's from right around the block in Florida. He plays that course a lot. He knows Florida golf. He knows the importance of avoiding um, the water. Um, so... That was obviously his best result of the year at T2 at the Honda Classic. I see that as a good comp for this week. Um, so I know the off-the-tee numbers could be better, um, but it's not to say he's incapable of gaining off-the-tee. He has done it on comp courses. He has gained three strokes at the RBC Canadian. So he's capable of it, and obviously the rest of his game from fairway to green speaks for itself. He's a spike putter and, and a spike approach player. So... 60 to one, you're really kind of gambling that the off the tee numbers show up. But if they do, he looks poised to have a good round. Um, and then Austin Eckrode is my last play here at uh, 90 to one is what I got him at. He was 18th at my model player I wrote up in my um, tournament preview, which again, you can find linked in the description of this video. Um, checks the box as a ball striking flusher. Uh, I'm not going to pull up his page, but but what you'll see is just a lot of green um, in, in off the tee and approach, and he kind of gives backstrokes from around the green. That doesn't matter on a course like this. You're not even going to miss – a good ball striker is going to rarely miss the greens on a course like this, and it's fair game for anyone to gain on the greens themselves. Um, so, you know, I, I just – I'm drawn to the ball strike at a high number. I think we're getting a little bit of a buy low because he he's had like back-to-back T60s. But before that, he was a, kind of a top 20 machine. Uh, finished runner-up at the Byron Nelson, so we know he can go low. Uh, okay, that is where we're going to wrap it up for this video. I've got a tight betting card this week of just five players. Um, but make sure you are... Again, uh, subscribe to the, the Discord channel. Follow me on Twitter at PJTout if you have any questions. And be on the lookout for my full betting card uh, coming out this Wednesday. Thank you again for tuning in to this video. And best of luck with all your bets this week.